their usefulness. I would say sometimes, most times, other people are going to look at your past first. They're going to judge you by what you've done. What was that story, the, the dots and the stars? They're going to see your actions and they're going to judge you by who you are, what you've done. Your lack of talent, maybe. They may, they may deem your lack of talent too little to be important, maybe too insignificant. They may even look at you and, and say, you know, you're really nice, but you're really not redeemable at all. But what we see time and time again in history, in Scripture, are stories of people who continually surprise us. People who rise above their circumstances and surroundings to, be, to become that person that God had hoped for them to be. Someone who isn't tied to their past, but who's rooted firmly in their future. Rooted in the story of God. And of course, when it comes to God's story, His story, it's not the power that we possess or our talents or even the person that necessarily sets them apart. Rather, it is their belief. It is their faith. It is their willingness to act on this belief that sets off, sets off this God-ordained series of events that oftentimes, I would say, seem a little unbelievable. So for the rest of this month, it's a short series, just three parts. For the rest of this month, we're going to be looking at the story of three separate people who became unlikely heroes. And I think if you pay attention, you might see a little bit of yourself in each of these people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. Thank you for giving us the spirit that you've given us this morning, Lord. Spirit of praise and Thank you for resting here. I know I, I sense the energy, I sense, sense excitement, but I also sense a peace here. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments as we kind of wrestle with the text and wrestle with some of these ideas that you would help us to pay attention, but also help us to, to kind of catch a glimpse of that person that you know we can be through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of what it is you've been trying to tell us for so long and how loved we are, how capable we are, how redeemed you have made us. Help us to believe that today. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn to Joshua chapter 1. This is where we're going to be, Joshua 1 and 2 this morning. It's right before Judges, right after Deuteronomy. Sixth book, I think. Okay, let's start with Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 2 and 3. Let me just set up this scene. Here we go. Joshua 1, 2 and 3. Moses, God's talking to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, the whole, the whole of the Israelites, millions of them, Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So here's the entirety of the Israelite people. They are literally at the edge of the promised land. Poised to see God's promise finally fulfilled. And so Joshua calls all of his people together. 
and he tells them what's about to happen. That's what he says. He tells them, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land your Lord God is giving you for your own. Now, that's pretty exciting. They've been wandering for 40 years. And before that, they've heard stories about the slavery and about the miracles and about the history of their people and the promise that had always been fulfilled. The promised land is coming. The promised land is coming. It's coming. It's coming. They're here. And he says, get ready. We're about to go in. You can imagine how exciting that must be. I mean, these people just so excited. This is their response to him. Verse 16, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. But you know in those moments, we're, we're, we're all in. Only may the Lord God bless, uh, be with you as he was with Moses. We're going to be with you as long as God's there too. But, you know, Joshua's been there from the beginning too. So they have held this man up and they're ready to go with as much faith and excitement as they can muster. They believed in Joshua. They believed and had faith in God. And, you know, of course, if you think about it, they, they have been with God for 40 years, these people. This is a new generation. They'd grown up in a world where miracles were not unusual. You know, they'd grown up seeing the cloud of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They've grown up with strange food just showing up in the middle of the desert. Oh, that's normal. They've grown up with birds and provisions and water coming from rocks. They've grown up with overwhelming armies being decimated right before their eyes. And then... The promise. They're ready. This land is theirs. Not because they just said, hey, we want it. God said, this is yours. Promised it to you from the very beginning. It is yours. So Joshua turns his mind to the task ahead. Okay, so chapter 2. He sends two men to spy out the whole land, specifically the land, the city of Jericho. We'll get there in just a second. Jericho was one of, the, one of the oldest cities in the land of Canaan, if not the oldest. Uh, they've recently, I would say in the last decade, started finding some walls that are still there. You can go there. It's, in a, it's a, a, I would say, a Palestinian-controlled territory. But you can go there and see still some of the foundations of some of these places. Uh, they say the, the dating goes back to 9,000 B.C., uh, but they say that as early as 8,000, there, there were walls that were already constructed. And, and by that time, there were walls that were already 11 feet high by 6 feet wide. So, so even way back, this was an impressive city. Uh, the city was abandoned. It was resettled several times over a few thousand years. And each time, the walls were added to and built on up. So if they'd built a house towards where the wall was, they'd just build over the house and make it part of the wall. That's they would build it up. It would be torn down, build up. So by the time Joshua came in, this was a significant power center of this whole land. It bordered the Jordan, kind of really close to the Jordan. And it was, you know, kind of one of those last 
first areas of defense as people were to come in to the land. They were significant. So I wonder what these men were thinking when they walked up and saw this huge city to see what the accomplishments of people could actually do when they got together and worked. And I wonder if they walked through those large gates, if the word of God didn't echo in their minds, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. When we face overwhelming odds, does that mind, does that thought enter into our mind? I don't know exactly what they did in that city. If you watch a lot of TV shows or movies about it, you see that they had lots of different things that they said that they did. But what we do know for a fact is where they stayed. So let's read Joshua chapter 2. So what it says, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, I know in Texas you're supposed to say Rahab, but something about it doesn't sound right to me. So for the next, you know, 10, 12 minutes, we're going to be saying Rahab. So that's, a new, that's actually the way you probably would have said it. Now, oftentimes, whenever we read this particular story, we tend to paint a particular picture about the situation. Now, from we know, this is the house of Rahab. It's not necessarily a brothel, all right? The text doesn't say that. It doesn't say it was a brothel. And I will tell you, the Bible has no qualms about telling us things even more specific than that. So I believe if it were, they probably would have told us that. That's what I believe. Uh, it was most likely an inn with rooms to rent for travelers. Uh, perhaps the spies were trying to keep a low profile. I don't know. Perhaps they, uh, they, they, they found themselves in this particular house with this particular woman because they were trying to lay low. Or they found someone on the margins of society and they were trying to be inconspicuous. Regardless, the three spy, these two spies weren't really that stealthy. Even though it's a large city, if it were similar to other large cities in that day, you probably would really have only had maybe 5,000 plus people in this place. You know, maybe if you had farmers and citizens around, this is where they would all come if they needed to huddle together for protection. But two strangers in this town would probably be noticed. Especially if word was getting around that there were two million people right across the river. You know, that, that word got around. So two strangers would have been noticed, word probably would have gotten around quickly, until the king is suddenly sending messages to Rahab. This is what he says. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come in, come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So you know the story, instead of handing them over, she hides them, she protects them, and sends the searchers in the opposite direction. So here we have two manly spies, these Hebrew 007s, who are stuck on the roof, hiding under bundles of hay. <laughs> They're thinking probably, how did we get here? Now this is where it starts to get interesting for me. At some point, Rahab a prostitute, a marginalized and irredeemable woman suddenly becomes a key player in the story of Israel. 
Now let me stop right here. This is the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. Unlikely heroes found in unlikely places. Now in those days, women didn't grow up hoping to end up in this particular profession. Now sometimes it was work for the temple, but we don't really know what they did there in Jericho when it comes to that. There may have been those, but this might have been her role. But also, maybe this was a profession she turned to because she just needed to survive. And back then, if you didn't have a husband, you didn't really have much. Oftentimes in those cultures, when a husband died and a woman was all alone, many times they would turn to this life just to survive. Now, was this Rahab? Perhaps. Perhaps it might have been her in the beginning to just survive. Perhaps she had come to terms with her choices and her life. But in the end, even in the wicked city of Jericho, there were ones who lived on the fringes of society. And I think this is where she lived. Her house wasn't even located in the city center. It was one of those houses in the wall that had been built on and added on to. So, you know, whenever attackers would come, what was she thinking? Well, I guess they were the first to go. When these walls were rebuilt, they built over these structures, and Rahab lived inside one of these structures. And, and she seemed to be a survivor, yet more than likely, even still, she was relegated to the fringes of Jericho life because of what she did for a living. And she'd now come face to face with the people of God and her future. And her first action, protect them. Why? I mean, they obviously represented certain destruction and death for her city, for her people, for her way of life. Imagine if she didn't even pay attention to that. But see, she was paying attention. Have you ever come to that moment in your life when you knew it was going to be pivotal? This would turn out to be a pivotal moment. Sometimes we're right there in the middle of it and we see, okay, this is a huge decision. Sometimes we don't recognize that till later and we look back and we go, oh, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> or what was I thinking? Or that was a moment that really brought me here where I am right now. Sometimes we don't recognize it right there in the middle of it. But I think Rahab, man, she saw it. She was right there in the middle, fully present. And this was her one shot to change everything. She was desperate to make things right. At the least, she just wanted to survive. She just wanted to to survive what was about to happen. So she recognizes this is her moment of truth. Have you recognized that in Scripture? Especially with women in Scripture, you see there are moments, this is my moment of truth. I love how God does that. There's some very powerful, strong, godly Women in Scripture. So verse 8, chapter 2, this is what happened. So before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Gog, who you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you, 
The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. A few things worth noting here. Rahab is smart. Never underestimate people regardless of their profession. She knows what's about to happen. Regardless of what Jericho media is telling her, I don't know if they had that, she can see the writing on the wall. She knows what is waiting for her and her people. She knows politics. She knows war. And if two kings couldn't even stand up to these people, these are Amorites, powerful people. If they couldn't even stand up to these people, what chance did they have? There was nothing for her in her future at this moment but death, destruction. And she also knows theology, by the way. Back then there were many gods worshipped by the people in, 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 in Canaan. Baal and Asherah were fertility gods. They were gods of the earth. Other gods were gods of the heavens. And you would tend to give them all homage at some point and so as not to offend or bring down curses on your family and your land. But what Rahab does here is to make a decision and a statement that was relatively unheard of. She said in verse 11, The Lord your God is indeed heaven, uh, indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. I would encourage you never underestimate anyone, their spiritual mindness, their smarts, their intelligence, their empathy to receive the scripture and the gospel. Never underestimate anyone regardless of what they do. Because Rahab is spiritually minded. She is declaring that Israel's God is the God, the God, the one true God of heaven and earth. There were no other gods of heaven and earth except Him, the God of the Israelites. She's professing her faith. And in another more political sense, she's turning her back on everything that offers her safety and security and protection. She's turning her back on her nation. Add treason to her list of offenses here. Her gods, you know, whatever that's going to do to her future, she's turning her back on them too. And she's turning her back on her past in hopes that she can, at the least, squeak in to the good graces of the people of God. She just wanted to squeak in. She's risking it all so she can just barely survive. You ever been there? You ever thought, okay, I know I've accepted God. I know I've been baptized, but really, my life's so out of control. I'm just hoping to squeak in. Have you ever been there? It's okay. You can say yes. I know you have. This is a moment of truth for Rahab. It's also a moment of truth for these men as well. Did they need her? Technically, no, because God told them, whatever you do, wherever you spend, put your feet, it's yours. Do they need her? Not necessarily, but you know what? God is one for drama. And what he's doing here is he's bringing in a character that seems insignificant, irredeemable, and he's putting her on center stage. Because at that moment, I can just imagine this sentence right here, this, I, would, I think it'd be much more dramatic if this happened while they were being let down the wall. Um, <clears throat> give me a sign of good faith, fellas. Spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. I can just see them. 
Um, our lives for your lives. I don't know if that happened that way, but that's much more dramatic. She's, they said, our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us this land. They could have gone away without promising. They could have done what we do in our house. They could have just said, we'll see. You know that, right? How many of y'all do that? But they didn't because I think this is more than just gratitude here because they found a person inside the oldest and probably most wicked city of that area who was a believer. She was a believer in the one true God, someone who was willing to profess her faith, willing to turn her back on her past, turn her back on the evil in her society, wherever it came from, so that she could embrace the one true God. She was thinking survival, but you know what? God was thinking something much bigger than that. Now, we know the rest of the story. We know that they tell her to hang a rope that has scarlet thread out her window so they would pass over her house whenever they cleared out the rest of the city. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Red material marks her house so that they could pass over, just as the angel passed over the families of the Israelites when they were destroying Egypt. Here we have people of God offering life to those inside um, a house marked with scarlet. The first Gentile that participated in that Passover moment. It was a prostitute. It was her family who was hoping to squeak in. And when the Israelites conquered the city, they found her. They found her family inside their home, which, which I believe was inside the only section of wall that had not been destroyed. They bring her and her family and allow them to stay outside the camp of the Israelites. So Rahab is thinking, whoo, we just made it. We're still alive, but the story's not over. You see, when we declare our faith, when we're willing to turn our back on our past, or our sin, on those areas where we think we are unqualified, insignificant, irredeemable, when we turn our back on those things and when we embrace the one true God, I think what we see is that we're not only allowed to survive, but we're included in the family of God. Full rights, full privileges. We are the children He's been trying to tell us we are. We suddenly are embraced by His promises. We get wrapped up in the future that He has for us. Because God's desire for us is not to barely make it. It's not to squeak in. His wants more for you. His way is more for you. And what, what we see quickly is that Rahab and her family are included into the camp. They were allowed to go in and live with the rest of the Israelites. To share in the inheritance of God. You know, that statement, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Rahab blessed the people of Israel. And for the sake and risking everything else, she blessed the people of Israel. And now she was included. No longer on the margins, on the fringes of society she was now on the inside with a future and a hope and then we see the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 1 this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac Isaac the father of Jacob Jacob the father of Judah his brothers Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar Perez the father of Hezron Hezron the father of Ram Ram the father of Amminadab Amminadab the father of Nashon Nashon the father of Salmon Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab Boaz the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. 
Her choices in life may have pushed her to the margins of even a wicked society. Her past may have been seen as a limitation, but her faith, her courage to stand up regardless of what it cost her, her willingness to declare her faith and belief in the one true God and His people show us that redemption is available for all of us. The story's still being played out even now, and it even happened back then with a Gentile being included in the family of God. How incredible is that? Rahab is embracing the grace that is still offered to us even today. Redemption that's still available. And just as God gave His promise to Israel, it's still available for us today. He's told us it's ours. He says, you are, you are the children of God. Jesus died for you. Could you start living like it? You are this, this person that I believe you to be. When are you going to start acting and living like it? Accept it. So my encouragement to you today, if you feel irredeemable, if you feel like your past has disqualified you, has created um, a, a future for you that really is not going to be significant at all, I want to tell you there is redemption available for you right here, right now. I don't care what you've done. God said, you know what? I do care what you've done, but I've already taken care of it. When are you going to accept it? If you're a Christian, when are you going to accept it? Stop living in sin. Redemp- just get, a- get rid of it. Repent from it. Redemption and a brand new life is here. It's waiting for you. And you may not see yourself as important, but I am going to pray that you can just catch a glimpse of who God sees you to be. So will you follow? Will you declare it all? Because he's given it all for you. Let's stand together. Let's sing. I'm right here and our elders are around.